Welcome back, all our buddies, to the Gerald Field Report being brought to you live from our booth at the annual Cheese Fair. I, for my part, am old C.W. Hills. Joining me here is my partner in cheese, Tony. How you doing? Good. Um, the camembert uh, is looking especially good today. It's uncamemberably delicious. I wish I wish they would refrigerate any of the cheese, though. Like, no, it's not. It's kind of freaking me it's out not. that they're just. It's just tradition, Tony. Uh uh. It was good enough for the Franciscan monks and it's good enough for us. I guess. Welcome back to the Gerald Field Report. Uh, I am informed by uh, lesser podcast god, Jesse Thorne, that we should do a little intro every time so people know what we're doing. This is the show where we watch every episode of Hey Arnold and then tell you about it. I hope that's what you came here for because it's what you're going to get. Today, we watched uh, Season 1, Episode 7, by Hulu's Reckoning, anyway, Operation Ruthless, slash The Vacant Lot. What's interesting is uh, Hulu definitely has a lot of these out of order. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) At least production order. Uh, You won't see it really, really obvious until we get to Season 2 or 3, but there will be episodes where I point out that, oh, yeah, this should have been an episode that played back in Season 1, and now it's all the way in Season 3. I actually came up on that because uh, for the last episode we did, which I was pretty sure was the first appearance of Mr. Wynn, I tried to track that down, so I hit the Hey Arnold wiki, and uh, I was it, it just seemed like I, I found the episode order list they've got there, and it was like from an alternate timeline. It was wild. Yeah, like there's uh, there's an episode where there's um, where the teachers go on strike. I think that's either season two or three. But right. this is when Mr. Simmons has long become a place placement in the fourth grade class. And they still have that old kind of bad teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lady, the lady teacher who uh, moves on to go sort of uh, golfing. Proto Mrs. Bitters. Yeah. Um, and like she's in it. And it's like this is like way, way after. So it's it's crazy. But you guys didn't come here to listen to uh, our complaining about the production order of. We did not. Of Hey Arnold. You came for us to talk about cheese. And yes. that is what we are going to be talking about in this first episode. Absolutely. Tony, I'm very proud of myself. I have uh, relatively recently and through the through the grace of a good woman's cooking, I have as so many Americans have failed to, weaned myself off of uh, of American processed cheese. I don't have a taste for it anymore. I, How have you ever had a taste for it? Because it's, as a child, I ate I, what I was given, and what I was given was late 80s, early 90s processed food. That is why my mouth insists that if I'm eating meat, it should be smooth and regular and kind of soft and preferably yeah. preferably come from a package that says Oscar Mayer on. Casey, I want us to start a, a podcast called uh, Casey Eats Some Food, in which okay. I just make you taste things and try things okay. that you are here, way sir. out of your comfort zone. Sir... I had fresh cut pineapple yesterday. It was delicious. Okay, is this the first time you've had no! fresh cut pineapple? I'm just saying. And I'm saying that there is photographic evidence on the internet that you eat like a five-year-old. Okay, well, regardless. Uh, 
the annual cheese fair, I think, is an environment that we would both be very much at home in. So, Operation Ruthless, we open up, just quick overview. Uh, it's the cheese fair, of course, the most romantic event in any city, past, present, or future. Uh, Arnold has his heart set on Ruth P. McDougal and attempts to win it time and time again with various gestures of cheese-based romance. Uh, Helga, of course, takes exception to this and attempts to foil his romantic desires and endeavors, and uh, I think it all goes pretty badly for pretty much everyone involved. Um, not everyone involved. Not uh, everyone! We're going to get to that. We'll get to that. we got to save it. we got to save it. we got to give the listeners some incentive to hang on, because I don't know about you, but if I listen to the first five minutes of this, I'd be like, boy, these, better, these guys better start real soon. Okay, so... Uh, I just want to point out that Casey and I do not talk about uh, these episodes before we come on nope. our podcast. We're doing uh, this hot. We independently watch this, and 90% of the time, we want to talk about the same things because there are it's some true. pretty great things in this episode. Um, and we're some pretty great friends. Yep, absolutely. Friends <laughs> for, what, like 10 years? Has it been 10 years? It's been forever. I believe it's uh, coming up on 10 years, yeah. Listeners, uh, the reason that we started podcasting as a group was because I moved, and my friend group and I, we all missed each other and just wanted to do a project together. And it has become such a wonderful way to make things I care about with the people I care about. And, like... You think about, like, well, I don't want to have to schedule time with my friends. Brother, let me tell you, when you get to be an adult, you have to schedule time with your friends. Am I right, Phony? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like days in advance. If you have somebody in your life that you care about and wish you could hang out with more, start a project together. Block some time out. Do you know how easy it is to start a podcast? Get a decent mic. They're like 60 bucks. Just start talking about whatever this shit. And, like, there are a million shows out there that are just two friends talking about whatever a shit. And it's not necessarily good stuff, but they still get listeners. And, you know, you know, most of you are going to be stuck in quarantine pretty soon anyways. So you're going to have that's two true. to three weeks of, of free time. Uh, that's a good that's time true. to start binging a TV show and talking about a TV show. Um, yeah. As we are doing. Yes, so we are. Episode- just... just- just just for reference, just so the listeners know to which specific point in the inevitable downfall of the human race we are making reference. In the past three days, Italy has completely closed its borders and has closed all businesses except banks, hospitals, pharmacies, and grocery stores. Um, mm-hmm. President Sex Criminal has quarantined the U.S., um, from flights to Europe, except for the UK, which is a distinction that I don't think he understands enough to make. And uh, the NBA has officially suspended its season. Uh, national hero and national treasure Tom Hanks and his wife have contracted yep. the coronavirus. Uh, sure and have. Princess Cruises has suspended COVID-19. Uh, all, all um, cruises for the next 60 days. Uh, an industry yeah. in which my mom works at, so... Uh, she doesn't seem scared, but um, she's a she's a salesperson. Well, right, she works on a boat. No, she works. <laughs> Thanks, for buddy. A boat. Yep. For a boat. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Of course, the number one fear and the number one tragedy of this situation is the enormous loss of life. But like the loss of revenue, like the NBA season being held off alone, I can't even imagine. 
like just per game, the vendors, the staff, the electricians, the security, the miscellaneous functionaries whose whole thing is to make that entire engine work for one night. And uh, that's not that's to say nothing of the travel agencies that suddenly have no work to do. The loss of revenue for a lot of people is, I think, what's what's going to be the real hard hitter here. And uh, these are very uncertain times, and a lot of us are very scared and don't really have any uh, don't really have any attitude or like avenue to express that because it's not going to be it's it's not going to be that this is what literally kills the human race, but like the how. How many points has the stock market been yo-yoing? Has it been a thousand points? What is it? Three times in the past week? I have no idea. I'm not like yeah. like I'm finally in an industry that is not um, dependent on the stock market, so I don't really care right. anymore because they don't I'm give you any money now. in the first place. <laughs> I'm a teacher now, so whatever happens, happens. And and like I don't yeah. even think my my retirement fund has to do with uh, with the stock market. Um, of course not, because your retirement fund is just uh, canned goods and shotguns. Yep, exactly, because yep. teachers, what, shotguns? <laughs> yep. Is that what's, okay, that's, sure. That was a Gremlins uh, so let's talk about this. never mind. Okay, uh, so the episode opens up to uh, Arnold and Gerald walking down the city as they do, uh, when they stumble upon uh, what looks like a pretty dirty alley. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're building something there and they go in exactly the place you want to see a food based attraction. Uh, it's the annual cheese fair, which like, let's talk about the fact that the city has an annual cheese fair. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like just last year we celebrated the festival of the Holy Provolone. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, you see people building stuff. You still see people taking out merchandise and, and, and oh, transporting yeah. it across. Uh, you see two people carrying what I have to say is a 300-pound uh, wheel of cheddar cheese. Yep. Um, but I do have a question. And this is, this is like, is the cheese fair that night? Or are they, like, building it for in preparation for, like, the next day or two days from now or three days from now? Given, given the pace that things happen in this show and in this world, I have to imagine that it's built and takes place in the same day because they need that field for other things. They need that space. Right. Uh, for things such as baseball and exactly. croquet and chickens, which we'll talk and about. And potted plants. Yeah. Um, I'm very interested. I, I love that they're doing some world building here. I love that this is a, a cultural icon that they're really establishing in this world every year they have not just the annual cheese fair but the festival of the holy provolone which implies to me that it's a religious observance where was that at i didn't notice that's yeah that's at the very beginning they're talking about that gerald says uh yeah it's the cheese fair already and arnold says seems like just last year we celebrated the festival of the holy provolone so uh i i want to know more about the dairy-based religious structure of this society well, is it holy as an H O L E? Oh, son of a bitch! Did I fall for a pun? Holy as an H O L Y. Provolone doesn't have holes in it, so I'm it not doesn't. entirely sure. Unless you um, bite one. Ah. But uh, I think what's I've fascinating been about this is is this entire cheese fair has like like you said a culture behind it. Um, mm-hmm. In that same kind of scene, or a few a few scenes later, you see Phoebe. 
uh, with a giant sheet of Swiss cheese. And she talks about oh, yeah. a legend about how if you spin around six times uh, with a piece of Swiss cheese in front of your face, your breath. Uh, it will hold your breath. It will point you to uh, your true love. Um, what? Like, that's fascinating. It's, it's that's amazing. really good shit. Like, I am here for cheese based folk magic. I'm here for cheese-based anything. There are so many yeah. cheese-based things in this episode. I am Same. so excited to talk about. Fun fact. What's your fun fact? Well, my fun fact, I've been listening to a show I really enjoy called Omnibus with uh, former Jeopardy um, badass Ken Jennings and John Roderick of the Long Winters. Uh, it's it's really great. Check out Omnibus. You'll learn all kinds of shit. But he was talking about how he grew up in uh, Korea and apparently the rate of lactose intolerance uh, in Asian countries is very, very high. Something like 80%. They are not a cheese-intensive side of the world. And so apparently it is fairly common uh, in Asian countries for them to describe white people or Westerners in general as uh, smelling like cheese. That's interesting. Yeah. We eat a lot of cheese. We, have, we like, really like... do. And you you don't even know like like the extent of it like we have what are called like cheese what are they called stockades we have cheese stockades basically uh-huh. the U.S. government buys like millions of pounds of cheese every yep. year and stores it in mines because yep. uh, our our nation just the dairy the dairy is king in our 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 country that's that's one of the reasons why places like chilies exist and every other thing that they sell on their menu is just drenched like drenched in cheese because we have so much of it that we don't even know what to do with it people won't even take it now granted like you said most of it is processed american cheese and not any of the good kind of cheese so most people don't government cheese eat it eat it but um Believe it or not, I, I think in that same episode I was talking about, the, the episode of Omnibus was about government cheese and how that became a thing. And it was after Reagan began to destroy the economy uh, during his tenure. Uh, the farms, the dairy farms and dairy farmers began to have a real hard time. And so the government stepped in and said, OK, we'll buy all of your cheese so you can stay in business. And that's how this situation came to be. It was a direct result of catastrophic uh, economic policies. See, I heard something similar but it was during the roosevelt era like mm-hmm. right when all of the social programs started happening um, right because people weren't buying stuff uh during world war ii so the government started buying um all the surplus that that farmer said you know we're talking more about cheese than we are about this actual episode <laughs> it's true there's a lot to say about cheese though i think yeah. we can agree um, Look, so if episode... Justin McElroy can have a podcast where he just talks about cereal with one of the foremost cereal scholars in the world, I think we can get away with one cheese-centric episode. Um, so beyond, besides cheese, this episode is really, really about young love, young Correct. romance. Um, one thing I like is is uh, these are nine-year-olds, like... I, I for myself was, was a deeply, deeply romantic nine year old. Like Same. I've always been a hopeless romantic in my life. I was in, deeply in love with someone, uh, in my fourth grade class. Um, I don't know how much of this was like influenced by the TV shows that I had seen as a child. Um, mm-hmm. Boy Meets World, uh, is a huge one for me in terms of the idea of being in love as such this big and important thing. Um, but, you know, seeing Arnold just 
infatuatedly in love with this sixth grade girl mm-hmm. is something that I, as a nine-year-old, completely related to. Right. Well, it's important that you use that word because he is infatuated with her. That's what it is. That's as deep as it goes. Yes. And and we'll get to a later episode this season, which you realize, oh, yeah, all of this has been infatuation. I, in fact, have no right. feelings for her. Um, but at the same time, like, there is something that speaks to my heart about about his feelings for her. I think this is the first Ruth centric episode. Uh, there isn't right. a f- there isn't very many of them. She is mentioned uh, in one other episode, the journal. Um, in which you find out that Arnold has this crush on this girl. And she is briefly seen at the end of our last episode, Snow, Snow. Uh, skating yep. by, uh, bright braces, and, and all that stuff. Um, but the episode which kind I have of to follows... Give it to the, I have to give it to the showrunners there. That's a that's a good romance scenario. You know, it's cold and bright out there, and she just she just goes skating by. Like, it's a, it's a situation built for, for a brief romantic interlude, is what I'm saying. So the episode kind of follows, uh, and I think we see this in a lot of the earlier episodes, a similar kind of series of unfortunate events situation. Correct. In which uh, Arnold tries to get her attention, uh, Helga as as his foible uh, stops it, and and chaos ensues for both of them in the process. What's interesting is we talked a little bit about production order a few minutes ago. I think there might have been a slight like continuity error here, or maybe it was an airing order issue, because in the journal episode, Little Pink Book, Arnold is already sort of infatuated with her and knows Ruth by her name, but in this one, he didn't even know what she was called. Gerald had to tell him. He said, that's Ruth. That's Ruth McDougal. Are you sure? I, I didn't I'm pretty that. sure. I might have misread it. I don't know. Arnold said something like, who is that? And I, I remember very specifically that Gerald had to say her name, but I could be wrong. Okay, so uh, the episode, uh, um, Arnold's like, oh, wow, it's her. And he's just kind of staring levy-eyed. And Mooning. Gerald's like, oh, who you mean, Ruth? And, and then Arnold's like, Ruth. I always took it as he knew her name. He just okay. was kind of infatuatedly staring at her. Right. Um, but I could also see where, yeah, this is his first just kind of, you know, Arnold is the kind of person who falls in love very, very easily, as we'll see right. in later episodes. Well, and part of that is that because this is infatuation, what what he's referring to as love is him, like, projecting this thing inside himself onto another person, right? Well, yeah, he's a nine-year-old. He doesn't know what exactly. love actually is. He knows that he gets warm, tingly feelings every time he sees this person. Just like yeah. like nine-year-old Anthony thought he was in love with a girl that he definitely wasn't in love with. He was just infatuated <laughs> by. I really don't think love actually exists for people until they become adults. And even then... Until they grow a soul, uh, right? Yeah, like like I've seen eighteen year olds. You guys are all infatuated with each other. Like I've seen kids right. who, in the same breath, like like talk about how much they're in love with someone, and then immediately, like once that person breaks up with them, they are in love with someone else, right. and they feel as deeply. And I'm not really trying to discount young. No, no, no. Love. Nobody's. It's, it's not f- an inherently bad thing. That's how that's supposed to work at that point. The, the feelings are real. The, the, I, I absolutely know 100% that they feel the way that they're feeling about it, but I don't think it's actual love. No. Um, read Romeo and Juliet, guys. That's that's like the the key thing you can read about infatuation instead of love. Yeah. 
Don't make decisions when you're a teenager, essentially. Romeo, Romeo spends half that book uh, pining over Rosalind, and then yep. immediately when he sees sees Juliet, uh, says the exact same things he was saying about her. Completely forgets about her and moves on to someone right. else. It's yeah, yeah, and he's saying the exact same things because it's something he's taking from inside himself and putting on to another person. It's not about the other person at all. Yeah, absolutely. And Arnold is going to be a great husband one day, but probably not to Ruth P. McDougal. So... Arnold and Gerald are having this conversation, uh, being observed by Phoebe and Helga. Uh, Phoebe tells Helga about the, um, the folk ritual of you take the cheese, you do the spin, spin, spin. Helga says, well, that's stupid. I'm going to do it immediately and takes the slice of cheese. She does her thing. She looks at Arnold, of course, because that's what she wants to look at. And she sees him walking towards Arnold saying, I know that look. The look of love, the look I've been longing for, he's finally acknowledged his passion for me. Thinking that the cheese magic, some angel of cheese, uh, has brought them together finally at last on this most enchanted of evenings. The patron saint of Provolone. There it is. I think it's very interesting that she is expressing her feelings and all this literally hiding behind a barrier. Albeit one of cheese, and albeit one full of holes. But it's just interesting. What I find really interesting is Helga, like, trusts Phoebe. I mean, like, we've talked about Helga and Phoebe's oh, yeah. relationship before. But, like, Helga is allowed to be her true self in front of Phoebe. Like, she's able and to she's start not to pining and, and openly pining uh, about Arnold in front of her. And Phoebe, like, is so nonplussed the entire time. Well, which, yep. which, which, like, means this is a regular occurrence for her. Uh, Helga talks about how much she's in love with Arnold. Phoebe knows that Helga doesn't want Phoebe to act like she's in love with Arnold. And right. she's a freaking... Uh, Phoebe is one of my favorite people in this episode. Phoebe's an incredible character. She's extremely competent. Uh, she's uh, a confidant par excellence. And uh, we, we all need a Phoebe, I think. But Ruth vanishes, and so begins the great chase. Uh, Helga vents to Phoebe about how stupid this Ruth girl is. Not that she cares! And Arnold, yeah. of course, is convinced that this is fate, that he and Ruth will meet at the Cheese Festival, the stars will align, and they'll probably get married on the spot, blessed by some cheese pope. And he practices the perfect line to yep. utter to her when he sees her. He goes through a bunch of them, finally settles on the perfect line, which is, Hi, Ruth. What I yep. love about this is, is, uh, you know that thing where if you keep on saying something uh, a bunch of times, the the word loses all meaning. Uh, yep. And we kind of get that. Like, so at first Arnold's like, hi, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. I cut to probably 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Hi, mm -hmm. Ruth. It's a, it's Until a it mantra. just becomes a mantra. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's I just looked it up. That is called semantic satiation. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like like being full. You're full. Sated. Yeah. You're full of meaning. You don't need any more. Yeah, so he just wanders around repeating this to himself uh, to give himself strength. There is a lot of really interesting cheese-based foods at this cheese festival. Oh, yeah. Uh, at one point, as they're they're ch tracing each other, uh, Ruth grabs uh, what is definitely cotton candy made out of cheese. I did not um, catch that. And, and in a, a freeze frame later on in that episode, you actually can see the name of the booth, which is Cotton Cheese. Uh, gross. Which is, it's gross, but also 
vaguely interesting. So like, I didn't like, say I wasn't intrigued, Phony. I said gross. <laughs> here's here's what I think. Like like take like powdered cheese. Okay. Like, maybe not. Maybe even like powdered cheese products. Like if we want to go like from back like to the mac and cheese packet. Yes. Yeah, but you can actually buy like like containers of it. At, yes, you can. At Costco of of like real cheese, like like dried and powdered, right. like uh, cheddar cheese and provolone and stuff like that. So, and then put it, pour it into a, a cotton candy maker. I'm really interesting to see what happens because it's dehydrated which means it needs some sort of liquid to get it back to its cheesy viscosity so i could really imagine it like kind of melting and it being able to wove and wove weave weaving weaven waved (laughs) keep going you'll get there stick Uh, the landing buddy uh floss candy that's the there it is um, but I can I can see them like turning it into strings and, and making it into like a some kind of string thing. cheese. You say no, because string cheese yeah. is different. No, I I saw Mouse Hunt. I know what string cheese is. It's a long string of cheese that's wound into a ball in a string I, making machine. I'm pretty sure at the Munch String Factory. I'm pretty sure I saw Mouse Hunt once in my life, and I'm convinced ninety percent of it was a fever dream. Fair. Uh, good movie. Go back to it. It holds up. You'll enjoy it. So the plan is for Arnold to give Ruth uh, that most sincere and iconic token of uh, cheese fair affection, the cheese kebab. Uh, Helga knocks it over, spills it, spoils his plans. Now they go to the Hall of Mirrors. Now this is where we see the beginning of what I think is far and away the most interesting part of the episode. Absolutely. So 100%. Ruth goes into the Hall of Mirrors. Ruth goes into the Hall of Mirrors. Arnold follows her in there. Helga follows Arnold, leaving Gerald and Phoebe out front, who have a mutual sort of "How you doing?" moment. <laughs> and a whole different story began there <laughs> that I think is and way more important that we should have gotten more of. No, the most important thing about this is this is not just a singular story that happens. Correct. In this, only this episode. Uh, listeners, if you've never paid attention to this, um, Phoebe and Gerald have a thing for the remainder of the series. Holy shit, um, really? That's very absolutely. good. Um, uh, and I'll point stuff out uh, later on. Uh, at one point, you see Phoebe uh, opening her locker. Uh, Gerald's picture is in the inside of her locker. That's uh, very And they close good. it. There, there is a blog... Uh, like four or five years ago when I did my last watch through of this, there was a blog post about like, like just talking about all of the things that, that Phoebe and Gerald, like, like the couple things that are shown Easter eggs in the episode. And it's called like, Hey Arnold's hidden couple. Um, because, uh, so yeah, so, uh, it freeze frames on them. They're giving lovey dovey eyes to each other. Like you can definitely see that there is, there is a mutual attraction yeah, and I would say this isn't even infatuation. Like Arnold is definitely infatuated with with uh, Ruth. Helga with is definitely infatuated with Arnold. But right. like Phoebe and Gerald are actually like I, I feel those romantic sparks with each other. They actually and see the other person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I found the article. Um, it's called. 
Phoebe and Gerald, lovers in the background. I'm gonna yes, send it please. to you over Discord so you can see this. But it's it's yeah. been like like my favorite thing uh, to just kind of look out for in other episodes. And now that I pointed it out to you, you're definitely going to see more and more of it. Uh, now, is this? You... Did you write this, or was this something you found? This is something I found. I really like this for a lot of reasons, and I think the main one is that it highlights that the Cheese Festival is not just about this Arnold Helga Ruth love triangle uh, that one corner doesn't know it's a part of. There are other love stories happening. There's Phoebe and Gerald. Later on, there's uh, Harold and Rhonda. Which is another one I want to talk about. Um, I bet you do, buddy. What I found out, what I found interesting about this overall, though, is it, it brings life to the city. It brings life to these characters. It, yeah. Like, a lot of cartoons, you feel like like um, the parents or whoever's in this show do not exist uh, unless the main character is there to make them exist. Correct. Um, this show, like, it shows that even though the focus is never on the two of them, they're living full and rich lives that on their own that that extend beyond their two best friends who are the main characters of the show correct Um, they're the main characters of their own lives exactly yeah suffice it to say uh it took this but i finally understand shippers now because I'm, i'm here for this i'm here for gb or ferald or whatever i don't know it's yeah it's it's That's a, what it's they a, do, right? It is a, a deep and dangerous... I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I've never been a shipper who who um, makes some power couple name for it. Um, I always usually just say uh, character X character uh, to indicate okay. that they're in a romantic. So Phoebe X Gerald is what I would usually say. My Phoebe biggest X one Gerald, is that makes sense. Uh, Jeff X Annie uh, for Okay, well, community. let me tell you, I... I run a Twitter for a Sherlock Holmes podcast, and what that means is that I see a lot of shipping names. <laughs> I see John Locke. I see Shuriardi, uh, which is an upsetting one for me. Uh, I, t- I don't know. So any combination of characters will, I'm pretty sure at some point we're going to see uh, Grandma and Mr. Sims right off into the sunset at some point because the, the combinations are endless and they will all be explored. That's gross. Yep. So uh, they head into the Hall of Mirrors, and what's interesting here is that they walk in, the Hall of Mirrors horribly distort Ruth and Arnold both, but they make Helga unto a dame. Yeah, it's it's kind of fucked up. It's... It really is, like, a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it's trying to say or who's supposed to be saying it, but it's not a message I approve of. And, like, we talked about this uh, earlier on in the, the makeover episode, like... Helga is proud of who she is. Helga is is who she is and dresses the way she is because she wants to dress the way she is. Um, yeah. So the idea that this episode implies that she is ugly and is a funhouse mirror uh, interpretation of a a normal pretty girl mm-hmm. in her normal life is very, very, very upsetting. fucked up. Yeah, it's not great. So we're stalking Arnold through the Hall of Mirrors, then Helga is getting stalked by Brainy, who we have established is Helga's Helga. She, of course, manages to backhand the correct one. She, she sabotages. Has, like, fantastic senses. Like, I've been into House yeah. of Mirrors before, and, like, I definitely have bumped into, like, a thousand 
arms. So she has like 15 dozen brainies staring down at her. And without even looking, she knows exactly where she needs to punch to break his nose. Mm-hmm. She and felt the amazing. air moving is what it was. Yeah, it must be Now, Thony, I, I know you're not a fan of Gilmore Girls, but have you watched any? I have never actually sat down and watched a single episode of the Gilmore Girls, but I have seen... Uh, okay, so this show, my mom, my mom has ADD, and it's hard for her to watch new things. Mm-hmm. So she tends to watch the same things over and over. And if she's busy in the kitchen, we have a TV in our kitchen. Um, if she's busy, like, cooking or cleaning while a show is on and she misses something... She'll go back and rewatch that same scene like 10 or 15 times. Mm. Uh, one of those things was the Gilmore Girls. And I think this is why I hate the Gilmore Girls so much. Understandable. Um, so I can I can tell you that I have never actually sat down and watched a single episode of the Gilmore Girls. Uh, but I know that entire series by heart. Okay. Then you'll know what I mean when I say... That when I look at Helga, I see someone built on the same archetypical lines of Paris Geller, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like she's got real, like, corporate executive energy, and if you could just point her in the right direction with that, she could be an extremely upsetting force for good. Yeah. And to this point, uh, it's later at the bumper cars, Arnold is trying to get Ruth's attention, and Helga says, Aha, no, we're gonna sabotage it. This particular bumper car, the accelerator sticks, and she tries to arrange all the kids. And this is, this is another theme in the episode, is that they're trying, both Helga and Arnold, are trying to arrange things just perfectly, so that they can have their perfect magical cheese fair nights, as we all dreamt of when we were young. And their plans crumble because life is unpredictable and because other people are never going to do exactly what you think they're going to. I just don't understand this particular scene. First off, she sees Sid get out of the bumper car and say, hey, yep. the accelerator sticks. So she should know four. exactly which car because she saw Sid get out of that car. The car has not changed positions. car is not anything. Number two, the numbers are painted in big, bright letters on the sides yep. of the bumper cars. Arabic numerals. But I think I think uh, Helga's the kind of person that likes to overanalyze, so she yep. starts counting down numbered cars as opposed to actually looking and seeing where the cars are. Uh, so yeah. she inadvertently, uh, of course she does, puts herself in the car that is 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 the bad one, the one with the accelerator that sticks, because this is a sitcom and that's how it's supposed to work. Correct. They go sailing into the wiener cart, and uh, <laughs> there's a great. I, I love I love a pre-disaster one-liner. I think we all do. And uh, right as they're heading for the wall, they both see what's about to happen, and Helga just turns and says. Say goodnight, Phoebe. And then they go sailing through. It was amazing. Which makes no sense. Like, like bumper cars go like half a mile an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way a bumper car can go fast enough to not only jump up above the the, the tires. To John walking, But yeah. also to go flying and sailing through the air yep. to land into uh, a wheeler cart. Carts. It was powered by love, Thony. Powered by desperate, crazy, borderline criminal love. Uh, so the episode kind of reaches its zenith at the Tunnel of Love, as Correct. all carnival episodes should do. Harvey the Mailman dressed up as Cupid in front of the Hall of Love. 
Sure, it's risky, but so is love, he says. It's true. But but here's what I love about this, and I've never seen this. Like, I've seen this all. Mm-mm. I've never actually been in a Tunnel of Love, like, ride. I don't know if they actually exist. I've never seen one. They seem um, wildly unsanitary for a lot of reasons. But most most often than not, couples are allowed to just kind of... They're, they're a couple, so they're going to go together. You go there with your uh, sweetie. This has a giant right. fence blocking the middle yeah. between guys and girls. Uh, I think it's a fascinating... Uh, so basically, you're going to be paired randomly with someone, and the idea is that maybe you'll find love in this situation. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, very good. Uh, in reality, though... Uh, kids use this as an excuse to try to figure out so they can sit next to their crushes. Correct. Um, and so a great big sequence ensues where Helga, now in a neck brace, which is pretty good, uh, does everything she can to rig the line on both sides of the wall, whereas, of course, Arnold is on the other side trying to do the same thing with Ruth. And so a giant fracas ensues. Eventually the wall is pulled down. Uh, Harold and Rhonda do get matched up and head into the Tunnel of Love together, much to Harold's protestation, but Rhonda says, come on, Harold, you know you like me. Okay, and I think, like, this is this is something that's brought up a few times. Like, I think, I, I don't understand why, but I think Harold and Rhonda also have a little bit of a thing for each other for the remainder of the series. It's Makes not. Sense. It's not as, like... It's not as gross and and sexual assaulty as uh, Curly's obsession with Rhonda is, um, but there's been a few times where you definitely like, maybe not flirty, maybe not like to the extent that that Phoebe and Gerald are. But I remember thinking like in a few other episodes, yeah, you know what? I think Harold and Rhonda would make a good couple together. Um, Makes sense. You know, he's he's uh, he's something of a bad boy. He's from a, a lower economic stratum than she and her rich family. I don't think family. he is. He is. No? I mean, yeah, they're definitely not in the same economic stratum. But, like, uh, I don't know. Arnold, I mean, Gerald's family seems pretty well off. Um, they're a nice Jewish couple. No, Harold. Couple. They're a, yeah, sorry, Harold. Oh, oh, yeah, they're a nice okay. Jewish couple. They're a nice is Jewish, Jewish couple. Like, they're, no, Harold's Jewish. Yeah, okay, so they wouldn't be a nice Jewish couple. He's a nice Jewish boy. No, Harold's parents are a nice Jewish couple. Oh, okay, all right. Sorry. Um, I don't know. Like, like they were able to throw him a pretty decent bar mitzvah, and that's a good indicator. Really? Is there a bar mitzvah episode? I don't think I ever saw that one. Uh, you know what? I'll probably remember it when we watch it. I'm finding that's what's happening with a lot of these and with a lot yeah. of Simpsons episodes. Uh, Harold's Jewishness is... is, is a oh, I know. That's a Harold's central thing. Yeah, story. no, I remember that. When, uh, when yeah. he steals the ham and has to work at the deli for a while. Yeah. Our people don't yeah. eat ham, and we haven't for 4,000 years. So... Yes. Uh, eventually, the whole wall comes crashing down because in their efforts, again, to rig things perfectly how they want them, they have ended up destroying everything, as young love so often does. Gerald and Phoebe... Uh, th- so, okay, we, we get this... We do get this line of p- couples... We do get this line of couples who sail through the tunnel of love. We've got Gerald and Phoebe, here for it. I'm going to that wedding. I will get them a toaster. <laughs> Uh, we've got Ruth and Sid, which does not, is not anyone's, I don't think either of them are, well, I don't know, I mean, Sid's, Sid's kind of into it, but I think Sid is just happy to be sitting next to a human woman, right? No, see, Sid, Sid is interesting, because Sid is, is kind of smooth 
Like I like, love you, though. Definitely get that that he he, I like he's he's a he's a spaz, but he's also like like, I mean, there's a reason why he's uh, Gerald's. Uh, it was gonna sound weird. Gerald's Harold. He uh, is. I <laughs> use that exact phrase in our notes for a later episode. Yep. Um, he's. He's Gerald's Harold. Uh, there's a reason because he knows how to talk and he knows how to talk well. Um, That's true. So I, I definitely, I don't think anything came of it, but I definitely can see Sid not actually having that bad of a time. In- okay, fair enough. Yeah, we saw him reaching to do the arm around the shoulder thing, and we yeah. we didn't hear any splashes or sounds of pain. Arnold yes. and Grandma go sailing through because had to be done. Um, we see Helga and Brainy who tries to touch a hot stove and learns a lesson. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, I want to go back to, to Gerald and Phoebe. Uh, she does of course say you something do. to Tell me more. Uh, I think Harold says, I mean, Gerald says, God damn it. Why, why, why? It's okay. Two well, it's very, okay. very similar names. Um, Gerald says, like, are you okay? Like, are you, are you fine? And she's like, I am now. And yeah. he puts his arm around her. And it's, it's very the, good. The, the, the cutest thing ever. Um, it is. So, uh, Arnold and... and and Helga leave the tunnel of love worse for wear. Neither of them yep. get what they want to. Nope. Um, I forgot what the resolution uh, for there wasn't. Are. As with so many of these episodes, uh, there is no resolution. There was a stand that just said cheese, which I wrote down because it made me happy. C H E E E E Z cheese. That felt like an Invader Zim joke, and it made me happy. But no. Uh, yeah, the the cheese fair shuts down. Uh, the holy provolone goes back into his cheese making cave for another year, and six more weeks of winter are upon the city. Gerald and Phoebe, hand in hand, head out together. Uh, Arnold takes off by himself. Ruth has escaped, and Helga is left alone in the dark as the festival shuts down around her. Yeah, and that's, that's it. It's uh. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty good episode. Like it was, I think it's it's a good exploration of young love, um, and the kind of chaos that that surrounds it. Yeah, so many of these, you know, we we're an analysis show, and so it is it is kind of our purview to analyze and pick apart and see what does this mean, what is that a reference to, whatever. But like sometimes these are just stuff that happens, right? Right. Um, and I mean, we could we could talk about how this is both Arnold and Helga trying in vain to force romantic relationships that don't want to happen, and the result is chaos and destruction. Well, um, what's fascinating is this this that there's an entire episode of just that line later this season, um, where that's exactly what happens with the two of them. Yeah, uh, the Valentine's Day episode. Ooh, all right then. Look forward to that. No, other than that, this was just, uh, I mean, it was really sweet and really funny. There's, there's a real, like, with Gerald and Phoebe, seeing them, you you know, like, hang out in the, in the swan boat or whatever and put the arm around and, and the snuggle up, like, there's, I I don't know, I, I don't really trust myself to articulate this as well as I mean it, but, like, we, as adults, we have to be very aware of, like, the, like the optics of of touching and like possible interpretations of sexuality and stuff 
and like the Wiggles, famously, their uh, their salute is they do like finger guns at the camera or double thumbs up or whatever, so that like there is never any question of where their hands are when they're taking a picture with a child, like that kind of thing. Right. And so I, I don't know. There's there's just like because there is a lot of physicality in this show. There's a lot of there's a lot of punching, and so just like like the arm around the shoulder stuff. Like when I was a kid, that was. I don't know, like, putting the moves on, on a potential partner. I was never sure how to interpret that. I was never sure, like, what level of physical... And, like, looking back as a grown-ass man, I'm like, these are nine-year-olds. They wouldn't know what to do if they tried. Like, they're just, like, they're really, you know... I don't know. I don't know what right. I'm saying. I don't know. It's just the... the what, what, I, what I mean is, like, there's, there's a purity... There's a purity of, of romantic attraction or of, um, of the idea of romance, at least... Because all of these, all these kids are, you know, mostly probably prepubescent. So like, there's there's no sexual element to any of this. Nobody's talking about any of these other characters like they're hot stuff. There's no there's no really gross jokes. Like Brainy is a stocky creep, obviously, and as you said later on, Eugene is uh, very uncomfortably interested in Rhonda. But my point was that like not all Eugene, of these, not Curly, Eugene? Curly, Curly. That's right. Eugene I apologize. Eugene is a. a precious cinnamon roll that should be protected yes, at all yes. costs. No, my point is that it's it's just interesting that all of these all of these have a very like pure not chaste exactly, but like it's it's devoid of any grossness because it's it's a couple levels below like teen rom-com, right? Right. Yeah, if you had an episode of like Saved by the Bell or some like teen show, and they were going to the cheese fair or whatever, you'd have a character talking about like, "Oh yeah, you know, take her to the tunnel of love." Rah. But like, it's a really sincere thing where they're like, "No, no, no, we're gonna match it up. We're gonna go to the tunnel of love, and then we're gonna get married." And just like the sincerity of it is, I mean, like, is like, just like I said, there's there's a few shows that really shaped this kind of hopeless romantic mindset that mm-hmm. I had for most of my life. Same. Uh, it's this show, and then it's Boy Meets World, which I could do another podcast just talking about that show. Um, no part of me would be surprised if you did. But but it's like like yeah, Saved by the Bell. There's that kind of sleazy element to it. But I, exactly. I could see uh, Boy Meets World having. A show similar to this. Oh yeah, we're gonna go to the cheese fair. We're gonna get in the same boat together, and then we're getting married. Uh, exactly. There's a sort of um, I don't know that purity is exactly the word, but like these kids are, these kids are set on this course to do something so grown up, which is find love and be in love and be together, and they don't really understand a lot of the fundamental mechanics that go with that. But damn it, they're gonna try anyway. Right. I don't know. It was just kind of a kind of a huh. Well, that happened episode, <laughs> and we have know. spent long See, enough talking about it. I don't. I don't think it's just a hunt that episode. Like, like Phoebe and Gerald. Like, uh, I watched true, that episode true. S- specifically for that moment, and I got what I came for. So I'm happy about that. You know what? Fair enough. I didn't come here for the Phoebe and Gerald, but now that I know that's what's here, that's what I'm here for. Uh, but you guys all know why we're here. Uh, oh yeah, especially for this next episode because you know it. Uh, this is it. This is this is the episode where our name comes from. Absolutely. 
The Vacant Lot, uh, probably one of the iconic episodes, one of the episodes that springs to mind when you say the words, Hey Arnold, uh, we all know the basic beats, they're playing street stickball, there are constant cars, interruptions like in Wayne's World before them, they find a vacant lot, they clean it up, they turn it into their very own field of dreams, and the adults, as adults will do, see something they did not earn and decide that it is theirs. So... Uh, it begins, something I noticed, Harold is always the pitcher. Did you notice this? He was the pitcher in the last baseball episode as well. He is not always the pitcher, because if you watch the rest of this episode, he is not the pitcher he when did. they make yep. the field. I know, Thony. I was trying to set up a payoff for later. He tries to oh. bat later and does a terrible, terrible job of it, which is why he's always the pitcher. I, 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 we could cut that and try again. Nope! <laughs> <laughs> he's like He's like Goldberg. From Go the Mighty Ducks series, uh, who the is cartoon? no the movies. Oh, not the series, the series no. of films, not the cartoon series. Yeah, um, Goldberg is a great goalie. Uh, is very very shitty at every other aspect of hockey. Uh, yep, and it's the same. Can we still be friends if I've never seen the Mighty Ducks? Uh, no, but you definitely have to remedy that. I have no idea Fair if enough. that hold up for you though. Um, have you, you've never been a big sports movie guy. We talked no. about in the Mickey K-Line episode, like, I, I'm all for 90s Disney's, Disney sports movies. They're the best. Uh, I don't Ducks mind are, sports are... episodes of things. Uh, it, most shows have an obligatory baseball episode, and I'm usually here for those. Uh, the DS9, um, baseball episode with the, with the, uh, the Vulcan logicians. <laughs> it's very good. But, um, yeah, g- generally the sports, the sports movies are not my thing, but I'll try it. I'll try it. For the love I bear you, well, I'll try the Mighty Ducks. Here's the thing about sports movies is they, like sports in like general, Mighty are boring. Sucks. I find sports, I, I find sports boring. Uh, like, like there's very few. I like watching hockey uh, every so often. Football is okay. I can't stand baseball. I can't stand basketball. But the thing about sports movies is, these sports scenes are choreographed Point. for maximum interest for the greatest amount of audience. So, like like watching watching Rocky, I have no real desire to watch boxing. Watch, rock, blah. Watching Rocky is fantastic because it's choreographed. It's like one long dance scene, except they're, That's they're true. dancing with their fists. Uh, it's the same with the Mighty Ducks. Same with any of these. It's not just people fucking around. Or, yeah. or football movies. Like, like there's actual like thought into how each of these scenes are going in, and I think that's why I really, really enjoy sports movies. Even though Makes like sense. I'll watch sports, but it's never been my big thing. That's why a movie about making a podcast would be much better than two people actually just sitting in front of microphones trying desperately not to talk over each other. <laughs> You'd think that, but, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, Zach Braff tried to do a TV show about making a podcast, and it Did really? failed spectacularly. What was that called? I don't remember, because it failed spectacularly. <laughs> Reasonable! So, uh, they lose their only ball, it falls into the bed of a truck, and so they are goozled. Uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about this truck for a second. I would like to as well. Yes, please, go ahead. <laughs> So, uh, and I, something I love about Casey and I, uh, we like to notice interesting things and wordisms and stuff like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. the magic of Hulu means we can pause TV shows, which we weren't able to do in 1996. And I don't think nope. the, 
uh, writers of the show ever intended uh, for people to pause. Nope. <laughs> so uh, the on the, the, the side of the truck, uh, I think it's spray painted. I don't even think it's like a legitimate business. But it says, I'll dig any hole for a price. And yep. then there's a phone number. 1-800-EAT-MY-DIRT. Wow. That's very good. Oh, snooosh. You guys could get away with anything, couldn't you? Uh, it's just, I'll dig any hole for a price. Yep. It's, it's a good motto to have. There's implications for that that are, are far-reaching. <laughs> and I could spend an entire episode just exploring what kind of holes this guy can dig and how much it would cost. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's interesting is the sign on the side of the truck actually changes. That doesn't become the text until the truck pulls up at the stoplight. Uh, before that, it just it just says landscaping on the side. <laughs> or maybe it's the other side of the truck. I have no idea. I didn't notice that. I just paused it. I don't either. I'll dig any hole for a price. Eat my dirt. Yep. So they lose their ball to said truck. Uh, the older kids hog the park, and the playground is closed after school, which is fucking wild. Because I don't know about you, but at the school I went to, if you just went to the playground there after school, it would just be a ghost town. Like, nobody's going to tell you you're not allowed to be there. But I guess, like, no, I guess, like, I guess, like, PS 118 is, like, a closed system. Well, like, my school, like, every school I've been to, like, they're open for, like, an hour, but eventually the gate's closed and you got to, you got to leave. Like, there's no way you're allowed to play there. Schools I went to didn't have gates, dude. That would explain the murders. But if they had their well, own field, to, you, it would be... What? You went to Desert Christian School, so... You yeah, had buddy. gates in terms of education. There it is. Certain Intellectual sections. gates. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gates of the mind. The heavenly gates. So if they had their own field, it would be perfect. <laughs> and they would call it Gerald Field. Okay. And I, there's a really great bit. Go ahead. We're going to talk about the same thing, because this is what we yes, got to talk about. Um... I love this interaction so much. It's um, so good. Because if you talk about any other TV show, this is a trope. This is this is a trope. We should call it blank. Well, why do we have to call it blank? Why can't we call it blank? Because uh, humans are inherently selfish creatures. And true. they want their recognition uh, in any way they see foot. In this, though, Gerald's like, we can call it Gerald Field. And Arnold's like, fuck yeah. Gerald Field. That's a great name. We should call it Gerald Field. He doesn't argue with it. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He nope. just goes along with it. Well, and I think there were like layers of fun in there. I think that was just Gerald being a goof and Arnold playing along, and then it became more serious as it went on, <laughs> like as the joke went on. And what's what's interesting is I don't know what the recording situation was like. Most voiceover work. Uh, is done, as we know, uh, it's done separately by yourself. You read your lines and it's all pasted together afterwards. Some of them are recorded in big groups, uh, most famously Monsters, Inc. and um, some other shows, I forget which ones. But the way these two palled around and the way they laughed, like, just say it, Gerald Field. There was just genuine laughter, and I, I feel like it just had to be those kids just goofing and they recorded it and made room for it in the episode it sounded so true 
you know, I, I do remember like uh, making of Hey Arnold spot on like like a thirty or forty second TV commercial about Hey Arnold with the cast. I'll look it up and see if they actually have like collaborative recording sessions or if they're. Okay. Please do. I'd be very interested to know, and I don't know why they don't do that. I mean, I guess logistics could be a problem, but in my experience, whenever. I read, this was recorded all together, it ex- it's like, oh, that explains why this was so good. Because right. there's, there's a magic, there's a, um, there's just an energy that can't be, can't be replicated. Right. Which is one of the reasons I have not tried, uh, to put up a cast recording of High School Musical versus Predator as one of our bonus features, although we might have to. Is there a cast recording that exists? Or there is not. wanting to do it? We might have to do it. We might have to. We might have to get the whole semi-automagic ink for now crew together and record High School Musical versus Predator, a love story. Have you finished it? No. <laughs> so, uh, I guess ladies, I should do that first, huh? <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, my best friend Casey Hills has been working on this this fucking play for longer than I've known him. It's true. <laughs> And he's still not done with it. Have you made any progress? Are you finished with Act 2? Or do you still just have a solid Act 1? I have a very solid Act 1. I'm halfway through Act 2. Listeners, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's about one of the Predators, the Yautja, uh, from the Predator and Alien film series, who's bad at his job. And he comes to Earth to find that there is something more than the slaughter and the hunt. And that thing is the theater. And also, perhaps, love? It's super dumb. And I love it a lot, and hopefully we'll be able to put it up one day and you guys can enjoy it. Now, back to the program. So they walk past this empty lot uh, that is, in fact, not empty. It is full of garbage. Now, Arnold is a man of possibilities, and he always has been. He sees what could be, what might be, what should be, what can be, if they all band together. Well, what's interesting, too, is, like, like in most TV shows, you would think that... The, the way this scenario would look work out would be first they find the field, then they name the field, but like literally seconds before Arnold and Gerald are talking say we should find a field of our own, we should make our own field, we'll call it Gerald Field. And then as if the, the fates are smiling upon that, as if God has specifically touched them. Um, the angels of the outfield. They stumble upon they stumble a fantastic movie definitely recommend haven't seen it since i was eight so i have no idea how it holds up but it's got a young joseph gordon dreamboat in it and uh, he's always a delight to see in any film he's in it's true isn't rodney dangerfield in that as Um, well they they stumble upon the field like and of course they know exactly what they need to do with it because this is fate. This is yeah. like this is God the answering land. their prayers. Yeah, the promised land. Stuff like that. Gerald says you're a bold kid, Arnold. A he always says kid. that. I love that. Which is true. Like one of I think this lives. is the first time we heard it, though. But it's true. Arnold is a bold kid. Because, especially as an adult, I'm thinking, like, like somebody owns that lot, right? <laughs> like, those kids can't just... Like, that's not just free property. But whoever owns it is getting it cleaned up for free. So I guess that's not nothing. So the kids, uh, they gather all the kids around, uh, and, uh, they just get to work. You get a nice little 
cleaning up the lot montage as you do with most with most TV shows. You see them hoisting up barrels and moving yep. tables and pulling weeds and stuff like that. Um, they chalk up uh, some kind of scoreboard on the wall that always fascinated me, even when I was a kid, because I don't know much or hardly back. anything about baseball. But they they chalk up this scoreboard with homer, triple, double, and single on there. So I can only presume whichever one your ball hits, that's what you get. Uh, so I think, like, uh, especially with most like childhood baseball things, it's it's less about um, keeping score and more just about how you're doing. So usually. Um, you don't ever keep track of how many home runs people get, how many singles, how many doubles, how many triples they oh, get. Oh, okay. Um, you just count up the scores. So a home run is when the ball is uh, is hit so far out of field that nobody can catch it, in which case every single person that is on a base uh, is allowed to move towards home plate. So when you hear uh, uh, it's the bottom of the ninth and base is loaded, that means there mm-hmm. is one player on every single base. Okay. And if someone hits a home run, not only does that singular person get to make one full rotation around the baseball field, every single person on uh, a base also gets to gets to make a full rotation around the baseball. They field. get to call Ali Ali Oxen free. So, so a a home run with bases loaded can net you a total of four points total um, in any given. Is that situation. a lot of points? I mean, the the game is. A, point each it's not like basketball i mean it's not like basketball which has multiples of different points it's not like football which starts at six points each um baseball is literally point 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 by point every okay, full so rotation is up to home plate is uh yeah uh, uh a double is when two people are able to run to um uh, home base a single is when oh. one person is able to run to home base uh, and okay. a triple is when three people are allowed to run to home base. Um, so a home run can be a home run, but it could also be a single home run because there's nobody else on base. He'd be able to I make see. full run, one full rotation, but there isn't enough to um, to get all those extra points. I see. So then it is notable that they do have, in fact, have this scoreboard up because they want their system to be legitimate and official. They want a professional as possible baseball field but but they don't have like home team versus uh, away team like like they just want to know how good each other is doing how good each team is doing and you can kind of get the idea that i mean uh i think it's ronda who's painting it not ronda uh sheila who's painting it it's Mm -hmm. in it's in paint it's not even in chalk they're not chalking it up they're painting it on uh, so it almost feels like this is like a permanent scoreboard. They are oh, just yeah, this is for the generations. They're just going to continuously count how many home runs they've had, how many triples they've had, how many singles they've yeah. had. Their grandchildren are going to play on this field. Helga comes at one point and says, this better be good. I'm, I've been watching court TV. Which yes! I, I just love it. First off, who remembers so court TV? Court TV oh, absolutely. Um, I can totally the... see she's watching Judge Million throw that bum out of there. He's a negligent attendant. No, no. no, like, like, let's really talk about court TV is the inventor of forensic files. That it's TV true. show started on court TV. Helga is definitely a murder girl. I am 100% oh, yeah. sure about Helga that. Helga is 100% a murder girl. Absolutely. She's listening to my favorite murder. She's, uh, 
She's, I can't think of any other murder girl things, but definitely. She's listening to every true crime podcast she can get her hands on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. It is it is known that the overwhelming majority of true crime fans, uh, both television, podcast, what have you, are women, and it is for a very upsetting reason. It is not because they enjoy it. It is because they want to know how not to get murdered, because the United States is a nightmare for women, as is most of the world. But Helga would absolutely be watching and consuming this murder media for other reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I, might, I, have, I, have, I definitely have female friends who... Maybe that is an underlying reason for they do it, but they definitely do it because they fucking just love serial killers. And I, I dated a girl who was obsessed with serial killers, like, and not in a good way. Like, <laughs> like not obsessed with serial killers, like, I'm gonna protect myself, but no, like, hmm. sexually attracted to serial killers. It was weird. Hmm. I ended the relationship very quickly. Um, good call. Good call. It's like it's like all those girls that that said Ted, sent Ted Bundy love letters after he admitted to murdering and dismembering all those sorority girls. It's disgusting. Yeah. So I mean, I think I definitely think there is like like a huge percentage of girls who, like you said, watch this because this is like education. It's a reality. A lot of women hurt. have to. Yeah. Women are constantly in danger every single day of their lives, and men, generally speaking, are not, or at least not in as much. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, Helga is definitely a murder girl, so she's she's up on her court TV. She's watching early Forensic Files episodes, or Dr. G, the coroner. And uh, the the field looks great. They've 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 chalked out a baseball diamond. They used a barrel as a pitcher's mound, and mm-hmm. they have. I love that the best game of baseball in their lives so they're even able to play more professionally than they were playing in the street uh gerald is the umpire and he's got one of those umpire like padding vests on uh they're using real pitcher umpire hand signals and Thony, i wanted to ask you do you know where those come from nope uh asl before Correct. They absolutely come from ASL because I have a brand and you saw where I was going with this. Uh, Before even the establishment of of Major League Baseball or any of that, there was a deaf um, baseball player named Dummy Hoy. Uh, Dumb at the time referring to lack of power of speech, not intelligence. Uh So, you know, he was a real silent Bob type. But uh, this was at the beginning of American Sign Language after Gallaudet University was founded in, I want to say, 19... 1917? I could be wrong about that. Uh, anyway, so he uh, taught his teammates a little bit of ASL just so they could, you know, communicate enough, and that's where umpire hand signals came from. So now you know. That makes sense. If you en- yeah, absolutely. you enjoy baseball, you've got a deaf guy to thank for it. So they enjoy their game. Arnold and Gerald reflect on their accomplishment and do what I think, I could be wrong, but I think this is the first instance of their secret handshake, right? I don't think so. I think I no? think it may have even been in the first episode. Well, like, they do it like in the anytime, intro sequence, but uh, but I also feel like any time they they have done any kind of shenanigans, they do that that handshake. Uh, wow, I have to go wow, back wow. and watch it again, but like like wow, I feel like wow, that's wow, like wow. whatever the the noise is. Wow, 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 wow. But that doesn't sound. So great. do they? So that, well, I can't make the real noise, Tony. I'm just a human man with the vocal cords God gave me, much to the regret of everyone in my life. 
You just gotta get a sexy new mic and put it right up to your face so you can sound differently. Because here's what I realized. I, I've been screaming into my mic for the last... You the sure last have, buddy! Three, because uh, I have a shitty-ass mic that didn't pick up anything. Um, so being able to talk in a different register because it's right it's up to my good, face has been fantastic. It's really good, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, uh, when we were upgrading our equipment, Dylan asked me if I was happy with my, uh, my setup, with my, you know, my mic and my equipment. Did I need anything? And I said, no, I'm really good. The only, the only way I think my sound could possibly be improved is if you wanted to hire, like, a voice double for me. <laughs> I think that right, <laughs> might really improve the listener's experience. So, uh, the kids leave for the day, and like raccoons sensing uh, an unguarded barbecue pit... Uh, the adults see something they want and swarm the joint. Mr. Green says, you know, I never noticed it before, but there's a lot of space out here. And it's an instance of a repeating theme that very often the kids and whatever they're doing are literally invisible to the adults, right? It's It, it makes, like, like I, I have to say, they have to have seen everything that happened they had to right. have paid attention to the kids cleaning it out because they don't come until the kids leave correct and this bit is right there at the center of the life this is like this is the main thoroughfare of the neighborhood you've got uh you've got the green mr green's butcher shop you've got all the other places like this this is where the life of this neighborhood takes place it's not like everybody was gone all day then came back to find this place miraculously changed right and and so they're like you said they're like raccoons they they wait until the kids are gone and yep. and and come in now i've been saying this since like the second or third episode every adult on this show is god awful they're all awful awful human beings not mr um, win no mr win is a piece of shit in later episodes too Mr. Like, Wynn's a war refugee! Yeah, like, I'm sorry, but, like, watch later episodes, you're like, oh yeah, these are all awful people. Alright. Um, here's what I have to say, though, and I'm, I'm gonna spoil a little bit, but I really need to talk about this. Every single adult in this show is awful, except for Mickey K-Live. Right. Um, so we already talked who about is, the Mickey. Who is just a, a sad, sort of broken down little hunchback of Notre Dame character. But I love him so much. So there's a later episode where uh, uh, Arnold can't stop hitting people with baseballs. Right. It's called We've Dangerous all been there. Uh, but at Another one, point, one of these relatable youth problems. But at one point in time, Arnold goes to Mickey Kaline's budding hot dog restaurant and has a conversation with Mickey. And he's like, you know that abandoned field on like 12th street he's like oh you mean gerald fields god damn it that's so good <laughs> so i i just like like and i had to bring this up even though this isn't a very very oh it's adjacent good, it's related no no good call but but the fact that that, that mickey Kaline, professional baseball player um cares enough about his community and the kids that live in it that knows yeah. the name of the abandoned lot that the kids play baseball in. Yeah, it's Gerald Field. It's legendary. And, and knows, like, like I feel like Arnold giving him back his baseball touched him enough. Like, he knows who Arnold is. He recognizes oh, yeah. Arnold. And they have, like, this, this very, very interesting relationship with each other. Oh, they would be they would be on on texting level in this day and age. 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So the adults take over the entire place. Uh, the kids arrive the next day to find Ernie growing tomatoes. Uh, Mrs. Green, Mr. Green, rather, is playing horseshoes. Grandpa and Mr. Wynn are playing checkers. And see, here's the thing. Arnold says several times, what are you guys doing here? This is our field. Why are you doing this? And no one responds to him. They literally don't hear him. It's because they know. They, they do hear him. They're choosing to ignore him because they recognize how effed up they are and i can really like like later on in this episode i can show you exactly why they knew exactly what they were doing and and, and okay uh, but we'll talk about that in a bit I'll have to look let's talk that. about so, like, this this kind of chaos that happens while they're trying to play yeah. the game of baseball they do they try to play baseball they try to play around the potted plants and the checkers table uh, Eugene attempts to make friends with a gang of local cuckoos, and like Link before him is swarmed by them. Uh, that's a lawsuit. <laughs> yep. Uh, Harvey the mailman would be responsible for the grievous injuries that his chickens caused Eugene. Absolutely. Um, Eugene now owns kept... like a quarter of his pension. Yeah. Uh, he should have kept him in a, a pen or something. They should not be uh, free range chickens nope. unless they have a permit to be. You're not the king of the Bowery, Harvey. You can't just have these birds in the city and hope they like urban life. That's not how it goes. But the kids are fed up with these grown-ups. Um, the adults have, in, in the way of adults, they have already, like, colonized the whole place and run out of room for their potted plants and croquet sets. Um, and the kids leave. Because, I mean, they, they, they wholeheartedly try to play a game of baseball. They don't they do want best. to let the parents to, try to, get along. to ruin their thing. It doesn't work. Uh, they end up in a, a small, tiny alley uh, where, like he, like Casey says, they just complain about what it's like to be a kid. And a Adults lot of it is... Walking around of, like yeah. their farts don't stink. Uh, what's that from? Or did you just make that up? <laughs> no, it's from The Simpsons, the bloodening episode. Where they, well, it's actually it's, it's a song from Bye Bye Birdie, but uh, adults, they run our lives like they're Colonel Clink. No? I, All right, never no, mind. Never seen Bye Bye Birdie. Snoozing, snoring, boozing, boring bunch. Well, no, I, I've actually never seen Bye Bye Birdie either, except for my high school production. But I remember the episode of The Simpsons. It was the one where they wanted to go see the bloodening, and they wouldn't let them because there was a curfew. So... Like, there's, like, five people that went to your high school, Casey. Like, how okay. the fuck did every single person have to be in that production? Yeah, that's fair. No, I'm well, asking. I mean, I wasn't. I'm asking, like, like how the fuck did a, a school that small put on a, a, a musical? Uh, with difficulty. <laughs> um, usually, usually the school plays were multi-generational, like, multi-class uh, efforts. You usually had at least two or three grades participating in any single um, play, which was exactly as disastrous as it sounds like it would be. That's that's yeah, uh, yeah good on Desert Christian School for putting no. on plays. Not I good guess. on Desert Christian. Not not good on Desert Christian for much of anything, honestly. That's Except cool. introducing me to a bunch of people who turned out to be super cool ten years after I graduated, and we didn't even know each other then, but now we're friends because that seems to be the way. There there is a pattern of recovering Desert Christians finding one another and being super cool. It's crazy, like like how many people that you went to high school with that I was friends with because they went to my church. Yep. And, 
but then people no people like amazing people like Phil Britton, who yep. is undoubtedly one of my favorite people on earth. Dude's the coolest. We love you, Phil, if you're listening to this. It's wild. Well, and well, no, and we talked about this on the final podlum. That's less a function of the incredible, random, beautiful computer nature of the universe, and more the fact that the AV has around two hundred people in it. Yeah, except it doesn't. It has around two hundred thousand people in it, and I don't understand how how it's it's fascinating. The AV definitely has a small town feel. Everybody knows everybody. Like, like everybody is at least one degree away from somebody else. Um, even my last girlfriend that I started dating was friends with like a bunch of my friends from high school. Um, of course, it's it's, but it, this this town is massive. I mean, it's not <laughs> the size of L.A., but there are 150 streets in both directions that make up the greater area of of the yeah, Anson and most Valley. of them are filled with coyotes and meth labs. <laughs> Yeah, and Nazis. We are the yep. meth lab and Nazi capital of uh, California. So it's true. Uh, we were the last season of Breaking that, Bad. I guess. Was filmed. <laughs> so the kids have reached a boiling point, and so have the adults. Actually, both of them have realized that this situation is kind of inherently untenable. And so, what do the kids do, Tony? Uh, they all. What I love about this scene is is there are no words spoken, but every single kid understands exactly what they need to do. They mm-hmm. eye that dumpster full of garbage that they spent all day yesterday filling up, and Arnold looks at Gerald, Gerald looks at Harold, Harold looks at Sid, Sid looks at Helga, all of them, and smiling, they all grab the dumpster, push it across the street, and just dump it onto the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, the adults respond in, I, I won't say what is a reasonable fashion in and of itself, but like, if, if, if a bunch of kids just came up and dumped a bunch of trash all over your shit, you would be confused. And, uh, I, lo- I really love this bit. Grandpa steps up and said, Now if Arnold and his friends had to do this, they must have had a good reason. Head for the hills, boy, I'll try to slow him down. <laughs> Which is so good! Feels the best! Except... Okay, so here's my thing, and this is what I was going to talk about. I said I'm coming back to this, and I want to talk about this. All Arnold says is, if you guys want this field, here's how it left you. Like, you guys cleaned it up now. He doesn't He doesn't make a big key. He doesn't be like, we worked so hard no. for us, we bled, we did. All he said is, this is how You can have it was. just the way we found it. A dump. And every single parent is like, oh yeah, we've been shitty people. Arnold didn't give an impassioned speech. Arnold didn't talk nope. about how much we tried to fix this, how long we fixed this, how desperately we needed a place. He, he didn't have an said, Arnold moment. This was trash. Here's trash. And they're like, oh, yeah. Enjoy. You know, in retrospect, maybe we shouldn't have stolen this field from the kids. Um, <laughs> because that's exactly like... Like and that's the thing. Like 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 we said, there's no Arnold moment. He didn't argue about it. He didn't try to plead his case. He didn't try to let the parents know that what they did was wrong. He knew the parents understood that what they were doing was wrong. They just didn't care. So nope. when Arnold said, "Because kids aren't important," now you fucked us up. So here you go. You can have it. Then Enjoy. they realize, play that, stupid games, oh, win stupid prizes. Uh, thank you, Dylan Spencer. <laughs> For real, though, 
Like that's, that's I mean that 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 has, it's become a maxim in my life. Like I I got a I got an alert on my phone that like a person like a Brazilian delegate who Trump has been closely associating with has tested positive for COVID nineteen, and on the one hand, I I have my my firm intentional principle in life that I never wish harm on another human being because as Gandalf the Grey said. Uh, the many who live deserve death, and some who die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be so quick to deal out death in judgment, for even the very wise cannot see all ends. But on the other hand, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, asshole! So, uh, the parents decide that, oh, they were assholes, we should fix this. And Correct. Granny says, uh, what did she say? Waste up your trousers, guys, it's gonna be a long time. Or something. Right. Something around to that effect. Um, and I, my first thought is, okay, like, yeah, they dumped the dumpster, but like, it is a exactly small, like a tiny, tiny, a tiny pile. bit, right? Yeah. I'm like, how is this going to take all night? But uh, the next day, you see uh, Gerald and Arnold kind of defeated looking, going and uh, stumble upon a real, genuine baseball field. Correct. Uh, it's got a cage. Built, yeah, they've built bleachers they've built a real uh, uh sign for them they've... yeah they've significantly reduced the actual room to play in <laughs> but still uh so uh they uh, mr green as the spokesperson for the adults uh, apologizes sure. uh for the kids said they built this the field uh uh like and to make it up here are two genuine uh grade a baseballs and mm-hmm. uh, no, sorry, genuine major league baseballs and and an entire uh, oxtail stump. Roast. Eight pounds of grade A oxtail stump. Uh, so oxtail stump uh, is one of actually the more expensive pieces of meat. Uh, six or seven dollars a pound. Yeah, I mean um, the ox aren't just wandering around. Well, oxtail isn't. Oxtail is just the end of a. Is the end? It's 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 the tail part of a, a steer. Um, okay. So ox, it's not an actual ox. It's ox. Oh, I see. So it's a it's, misnomer. It's, yeah, uh, it's worth around forty bucks, fifty bucks. Uh, it's fifty bucks worth of meat that Mister Green gives them. It's a very generous donation, including the cost of whatever those baseballs ran. Although they aren't new yep. in their wrapping, so those could be secondhand for all we know. But there's only one thing to do at a time like this, and that's play ball. Mr. Which Mr. Wynn takes to heart. Really wants to play ball. Yes, he does. Uh, Boy, howdy. That he's never actually a game of baseball before. It just kind of runs nope. around yelling play ball until he finds a spot. I don't even think. No, he just spends the entire, like, just the running around. kind of pans out with That's him all he screaming, does. play ball, play, play ball, ball, play ball, play ball. Phil eventually tells him to shut up. And, like, as an as a kid, I mean, Mr. Wynn, until we get to the episodes that really explain who he is and what his deal is, um, and uh, he, he really does kind of occupy just, like, the funny foreigner slot, right? As all of them do, a little bit. He's He's strange, and he talks a little funny, and he's from somewhere else, clearly, and that's why he's kind of a funny guy. But, like, he escaped the fall of Saigon, it makes sense that he's super into baseball and, like, Americana and similar. Because, like, he's a country western star later. Yeah, with a uh, very, very fancy country western star voice. 
Exactly. I think it's Randy Travis that actually plays his voice. I believe it is. The King of the Road himself. Uh, which is pretty good. Yep. It is. Uh, Thony, I want to, before we, before we wind up here, the, the baseballs remind me of a joke I love. Uh, it's not the welder's mask joke, but I would still like to tell it. So one day, a man bored with his life decides to go on a trip to Spain. He goes to Spain, he walks into the first restaurant he sees and decides that he is going to eat like one of the natives. He's going to have the real Spain experience. So he sits down, the waiter comes up and he says, waiter! I'll have the special of the day, whatever it is. I don't care. Just bring it to me. And so the man brings him a rice dish with some meaty bits in, and he eats it up, gobbles it up, nom, nom, nom. It is delicious. And he says, what was that, my good man? It was delicious. And the waiter says, well, senor, you see, this city is famous for the bullfights. And after the bullfights, the bull is killed, and we purchase the testicles of the bull, and we make them into a dish you just ate. And the man said, oh, I just ate bull balls. Okay, well, it was still delicious. You know, local custom, whatever. I'm not mad about it. So the man comes back every day for the whole rest of his trip, and he eats that same dish. He just gobbles down some delicious rice, some delicious fried, uh, what do they call those, Rocky Mountain oysters, and he has a grand time until his last day there in Spain. He comes in, he sits down, and he eats, and there's just something different about it. It's just not as good. So he calls over the waiter, and he says, What's 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 the deal here? Do we get a bad bull? What, what happened? And the waiter says, Well, senor... The bull, he does not lose every time. Uh, that's gross. What are we watching next, Tony? As always, everybody, uh, this was the Gerald Fort. Uh, the Gerald, Gerald Fort. Fort. No, the Gerald, the Gerald Fort, Fort is a different thing. Tell me more about the Gerald Fort, Tony. <laughs> right now, do it. <laughs> well, it's like magic, where we've combined <laughs> the best parts of semi-auto magic and turned it into uh, one other different... Uh, word. Yep. What are we watching uh, next time? Uh, next episode, we have the first genuinely scary episode of. Oh um, yeah. Of Hey Arnold. Uh, one of the very, list. Uh, there is actually uh, a few very genuinely scary episodes of Hey Arnold. Uh, yep. And, uh, and this is one of them where you have to come to grips with the fact that you won't be able to accomplish everything you want in your life. Yeah, that's that's exactly the one I'm talking about. I know um, it is, buddy. Uh, as always, everybody, uh, stay kind, uh, stay clean, wash your hands, yeah. and wash let, your damn hands, and let the Swiss cheese of your life guide you to Ooh. your true love. Ooh. This has been the Gerald Field Report, everybody. Signing off. Welcome back, all our buddies, to the Gerald Field Report being brought live from you. That's not true. Never mind. (laughs) Good start.